Thanks for joining us today. Enjoy your morning. Let's stand together. Let's sing. Singing joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Joy, unspeakable joy, an overflowing well, no tongue can tell. Joy, unspeakable joy, it rises in my soul and never lets me go. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. And wonders of his love, and wonders, wonders of his love. Sing joy, joy, unspeakable joy, an overflowing well, no tongue can tell. Joy, unspeakable joy, rises in my soul and never lets me go. Sing joy, joy, unspeakable joy, an overflowing well, no tongue can tell. Joy, unspeakable joy, it rises in my soul and never lets me go. Be seated. Watch this. It's the Christmas season. It's that time of year when you unbury all the decorations from the attic in the garage. You put up the Christmas tree. You find that missing stocking with the reindeer on it. You clean out the gutters so that you can string up the lights before it snows or you're the last dark house on the block. The kids have road games, early practices, that huge history project, and final tests to study for, along with five different Christmas parties and your son's extra holiday hours at his part-time job. When can he start driving again? 
Don't forget to write down the dates and times for the performances and the rehearsals of the programs at church, at school, and at the senior center where they want you to come dressed up as an elf. In tights. Then there's the shopping. Your son wants a new gaming system that can read his mind. Your daughter wants a doll that you're going to have to make payments on. Your sister's emailed you three times asking what you want for Christmas and why you haven't just gotten an Amazon wish list set up already. Your spouse thinks maybe the two of you should just get each other a new furnace for Christmas or maybe just donate all the gift money to orphans in Cambodia. And then there's the secret Santa thing at work. What's a white elephant gift again, anyway? The school sent home a note saying half the kids have strep. Your spouse came home with a box of double extra-strength cough medicine and a case of Kleenex boxes. You're pretty sure there was something wrong with that last piece of fruitcake you just ate. And your daughter's so stuffy, she looks and sounds just like Rudolph. Christmas is at your parents' house this year, and at your spouse's brother's place down south, and at your aunt's place on the lake. If the weather's nice and your kids sleep in the car, you might just make it to all three, and you should make sure that you stop in at the office party for at least a little while. Also, your friends are in town, so could you set aside a night of the week to do a special Christmas just with them? Oh, and can we do it at your house? Your boss needs you to make sure you get that project done before Christmas, even though he's going to be out of town until January, and you have to cover for your coworker who spends every Christmas in Hawaii. Also, none of your contractors will answer the phone after December 15th. Plus, you need to make that green bean dish you're so good at for Christmas dinner, and that peppermint dessert all the kids love for the other Christmas dinner, and something gluten-free for Uncle Dale, and a backup ham just in case your mom's stove blinks out again. Also, there's cookies and carols at the church on Saturday afternoon. Everybody bring two dozen. Oh, and don't forget, Jesus is the reason for the season. Merry Christmas. Good morning. It's obvious, right? It took him a while to get there, but Christmas is all about Jesus. But there's a tension. And most of us accept and believe the message of Christmas, and we believe that it was a couple thousand years ago in what seems to be a galaxy far, far away, kind of out of our reach, where God showed up in the story of humanity, and he offered to give the human race the gift of a relationship with him. He offered to give us forgiveness of our sin. And it would cost us absolutely nothing. And we know that the message of Christmas, when you strip all the other things away, all the distractions away, all the things we've heard about already, the message of Christmas is that forgiveness and salvation and our relationship with God is a gift. And we have to decide once and for all, will we or will we not receive the gift? You see, there's something in us that the idea of God just accepting us the way we are, in spite of all our stuff, in spite of all of our backstory, in spite of all of our messes, the idea of God accepting me and all that comes along with me, it just seems like I ought to have to do something. And so we can get it all wrong when it comes to accepting the gift that God's offering to us. So I want to read this passage of Scripture this morning, and it's one that you've heard before. It's not like you've never heard it, but the truth is you probably only hear it one time a year. And this is what we call the Christmas story. And I'm going to go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. You would have guessed that. And if you brought a Bible, or if you have a Bible app, you can just look it up and follow with me. You can read with me, whatever's comfortable. And I want to encourage you to try to hear this message this morning from Luke 2 like you've never heard it before. I want you to listen like this is brand new. Never heard it, never thought of it, not familiar with it. Because we are familiar with the story of Christmas, and sometimes we get too familiar with it. But when it comes to the message of Christmas, sad to say, we tend to miss it. So I'm reading in Luke 2, I'm starting at verse 8, and so I'll read a few verses. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today... In the town of David, 
A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, the highest heavens, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. See how this works? God gets the glory, and we get the peace. You and I get the peace of knowing that every single night when we go to bed, when you look up into the darkness of your room, and you wonder what life's all about, and every time you've messed up, and every time you've fallen short of some glory or some goal, and every time you feel alone, and every time you feel like there's no hope for you, regardless of what happened in your day, you have the opportunity, because of the message of Christmas, you have the opportunity to live with the peace of knowing that God loves you, That love is never, ever, ever, ever going to diminish and his favor rests on you in spite of all you've done, in spite of where you've been, in spite of who you've been with, in spite of all your mess. And until you embrace the message of Christmas, you will never have real peace. Real peace is inner peace. It's soul peace. It's eternal peace. It's peace in the time of storm. The message of Christmas is God gets all the credit and you get all the peace because God is giving you something that no one else can offer you. No other system, nothing else in this world. There is nothing else. There is no one else that can offer you what God has already offered you. So I drop down to verse 15 and here's what I read. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said, to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. I want to put before you this morning this supposition. If there really is a God in heaven, and we believe there is, If there really is a God in heaven, and I believe there is, if there really is a God in heaven, and a dozen of us believe there is, and if he's really decided to forgive everything you've ever done, listen to this, and everything you will ever do, and go ahead and accept you as you are in spite of the mess you've made, or I've made, and we believe he does, and we believe he's done all that, if there's a God in heaven who says, you can have a relationship with me, and we believe there is, and you can have a relation with me, means that I am going to provide everything you need to have that relationship with me, that, my friends, is the message of Christmas. That's what it's all about. And all you have to do, he says, is receive that gift that I'm offering you. And if all that I've just said is true, then let me tell you something. That is really, 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 really good news. That's good news. And if this is true, there's no better offer. Because it doesn't get any better than this. Matter of fact, I thought about this the other day and I said, this is better than good news. This is the best possible news. Nothing compares. If God really invaded time and space and the story of humanity through his son, Jesus Christ, and if he really came to live on this earth, and if he really came to die on the cross for our sin, yours and mine, and if he really is willing to offer us this gift of salvation and a relationship with the Heavenly Father, our Creator, and we don't have to do one single thing to earn it, I'm telling you, my friends, there is no better offer, none, period. Now, I want to take a few minutes to reread the Christmas story, but this time through a different lens. Another writer, someone else saying the same thing, giving you the same message, but in a slightly different terminology. Because the story you and I are so familiar with, that was written by Luke, 
is good. And some of us have memorized part of it. And some of us are very familiar with it. And if I start it, you could probably finish that verse. And if I go to the next verse, you probably know what's coming. See, Luke was a, he was a true historian because he gathered his information from multiple sources and eyewitnesses. But the account I'm referring to now was written by one of the men who followed Jesus around while Jesus was teaching and healing the sick and performing miracles and, and, and preparing his disciples to carry on his work after he'd be gone. And this man's name was John. He was in Jesus' inner circle during his ministry. He actually saw Jesus crucified. He was there at the foot of the cross. He helped bury Jesus. And he saw Jesus after he had come back to life on that Easter Sunday morning. And then for the next 30 to 40 years, John went around telling people about not what he believed, but about what he had seen. And he never lost sight of the message. And near the end of his life, he wrote down his account of the life of Jesus. He wrote down things he had experienced with Jesus. Just like Matthew did, just like Mark did, and just like Luke did. And near the end of his life, looking back on his time with Jesus, John writes some of the most famous words about Jesus that were ever written. Here is his summary of the Christmas message. Again, something you might be familiar with. Because I'm reading now in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. See, that's his way of saying, this is good news for all those on whom God's favor rests. That's the way Luke put it. For God so loved the world. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? It means that the God of this universe, the creator of all, loves you. Does that make you at least a little bit warm and fuzzy? Yeah. God so loved the world that he did what we do when we love somebody. And what was that? He gave. Think about it. This is the big week coming. Everybody's getting ready for it. And some of you are going to give gifts to people you don't even like. I guess I hit one there. Some of you are going to give a gift to somebody at work that you can't even stand, but you drew their name out of a hat. And listen to this. Somebody at that workplace is going to be giving you a gift and feels exactly the same way. And you're going to give a gift perhaps to some relative that you don't like, but it's their turn. This is their year to be in town. You're already asking. You're not going to be here next year, right? You're going to give gifts to people you don't like, maybe, because that's what's expected of you right now. But for sure, I can say, you've been buying gifts for the people you do love. You probably started thinking about that six months ago. Six weeks ago, I meant. And, and, and you started a list because when you love somebody, you give them gifts. God, John says, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The baby of Bethlehem was the son of God in human flesh. That whoever believes in him Here's what John understood from Jesus' message and from having spent time with Mary and time with Jesus, and he knew the whole story, and he'd been there from beginning to end. Here's what he knew, that God gave us his son, and it's a personal gift, and it is one for each one of us. No exclusions. Nobody's excluded. And you receive the gift, how? By believing. It isn't about performing. It isn't about trading off. It isn't about cleaning up your act. It isn't about keeping some rules. It's by believing or trusting in. And what John is saying is that when God sent Jesus into the world, 
as a gift to all of humanity. That includes you. That includes me. The way an individual receives this gift is simply by placing their trust in the truth that Jesus was, in fact, the Savior of the world. That when he came, he came for you. When he died on the cross, he died for your sin. When he rose from the dead, he rose to bring salvation to your soul. As theologian N.T. Wright has put it, Christmas is the moment when God launched a divine rescue mission to all mankind. Love that statement. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you know what eternal life really is? Eternal life is the life that connects you with your creator. Eternal life is the life that connects you with your heavenly father. And it's a gift for those who freely receive it. How? By placing their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, the son of God. And when you do that, you will have peace that you've never had before. You will have peace that you didn't know you could even experience because you will have the assurance of knowing where you stand with your heavenly father. There's nothing like it. There's no feeling in all the world that compares to that. There's no experience in life anywhere that compares with that wonderful peace, that assurance of knowing where you stand with your Heavenly Father. You say, well, Bob, I I struggle with some parts of the Christmas story, and I know some people do. Maybe you're just not comfortable with the whole idea of the supernatural and, and things like that happening. The whole idea of a virgin birth. I'm still trying to explain that, you say. I'm trying to figure that out. And angels. And and this whole idea of a new star shining in the sky. And of course, the idea that Jesus, the very Son of God, the very essence of God, came as God in the flesh to redeem mankind. I mean, maybe in your mind or in your heart, that up to now has just been a stretch. That's just been too much of a stretch for you. Let me just say something to you. First of all, I don't criticize you for feeling that way. It's perfectly normal. And until you move a little bit further in your faith journey, that's perfectly fine. But let me just also say this is a miraculous story. This is a miracle story. This is about miracles. And I know it's not easy to believe. So here's my prayer for you. My prayer is that somewhere in this Christmas season that you would get to interact with someone whose life has been so impacted, I mean, their lives have been nothing less than transformed through their relationship with Jesus Christ, and that you would find their story so compelling and their experience with Christ so irresistible that you would come to a place where you can trust what you can't explain. The purpose of this church and the purpose of this church having a service that we call the Christmas service is that you can get to a place in your life where you can trust what you can't explain. And all I would ask is for you to be open-minded. All I can ask is for you to be receptive to this message. Because I believe if you are open to him, the God of the universe will show himself to you in a way that is undeniably God. Maybe you're sitting here today, you thought you had it together, you weren't quite sure where you put it, but you, 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 you have this approach, and if I were to ask you, you'd tell me straight up, are you trusting in God? And the answer would be yes. And you're trusting in God, listen here now, and you're also trusting in yourself. Because you know, Bob, God, God helps those who help themselves. My mother used to say whenever I said that, and God helped those who get caught helping themselves. But, God, but Bob, I've got to help myself a little bit, too. I've got to do my part. I can't expect God to do it all. So when things are not going so well, let me tell you what happens. You trust a little bit more in God. And when things get really rough, and you realize... Life's going nowhere for you. Then you trust God a little bit more, maybe a whole lot more. But when things start going all right again and you can see the sun breaking through, then you trust a little bit more in yourself. 
So friends, the message of Christmas, simply put, is this. We don't have to trust in our own goodness. We don't have to trust in our own abilities to get it right. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? We don't have to trust and hope that our good will outweigh the bad. I want to encourage you to lean entirely into the gift. Lean into the person of Jesus Christ for the basis of your right standing with God. When you do, you'll find peace. And that doesn't mean that everything is peaceful all the time. Whoever started teaching that, whoever started propagating that gospel has done a great disservice to Christianity. doesn't mean that everything's peaceful all the time. It means in the chaos and in the instability and in the messiness of life, you can still know peace. I know there's a chance that this is the first time you've really understood this concept, But it's not the first time you've heard the Christmas story, I guarantee. But maybe it's the first time you've put all this stuff together with the rest of the story. And I want to give you a chance to do what the shepherds did. You know what the shepherds did? The shepherds heard the good news. They believed it. And they acted on it. That's pretty simple, isn't it? And the way that we act on the good news that John shares with us is you simply act in faith and you place your trust in Jesus to be your Savior. And so right now, I want to lead you in a prayer, if I could. And I'm going to ask that we bow together in prayer. It's not a, it could be a prayer, something like maybe you prayed when you were a child or earlier on in your life. I don't know. But you can pray this prayer after me. You can Pray your own prayer. You can change the words up. You can just pray uh, pray silently in your own heart, in your own mind. Just pray with me. That's all I ask right now. Let's go to prayer. And if those of you that want to pray this prayer and you're ready to make that move towards God through Christ, then you pray this with all sincerity, these words. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. And I believe you sent Jesus, your Son, to be our Savior. And I believe He's my Savior. And today I want to place my trust in Him. I know He's made a full payment for my sin. Thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for making a way for me to approach you. Thank you for the privilege of coming to, be, to become your, your son, your daughter, and you becoming my heavenly father. Thank you for receiving me into your family. And thank you for your great love and your grace and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've come today to the place in your spiritual journey where you have seriously decided to pray a prayer like that, or maybe you prayed that prayer with me just moments ago, personally, I'd love to know about it and love to be able to help you and love to be able to show you next steps and help you make your way on this journey. And I'm even going to ask that if you're serious about it, you find in the seat back near you one of our Connect cards and just pick up that card and If you would, take a minute and fill it out. Put your name on it. I don't need all the family history and and all the rest of it. Just some contact information. And on the back, indicate that today you placed your trust in Jesus. And today you became a true follower of Christ. And then just leave the card in an offering box in the lobby. Or hand it to me as you leave today. Or even, if you'd like, leave it on the seat where you are. I'd be so grateful if you would do that. And let me pray for all those that are making that commitment today. And let's pray for all today that this will be a Christmas full of peace and grace. Heavenly Father, thank you once again 
for leading us and directing us and, and allowing us to be here under the sound of your gospel today. Thank you for the words of, of Luke and thank you for the, the, the explanation that John gives us that you love the whole world so much and continue to love everything and everyone in this world so much that you gave, yes, you gave your best, you gave your one and only son that he might be the, the hope and the salvation and the redeemer of this world. Thank you that we can have that personal relation with, relationship with him and we can come into that perfect relationship with you through Jesus Christ. We praise you and we give you glory for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas with peace and grace. From wherever you've been Come broken hearted Let rescue begin Come find your mercy Oh sinner come near Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal So lay down your
and grace. Grace always requires a death, in a sense. There can be no real grace without a death. A couple thousand years ago, our Heavenly Father sent His Son, His grace gift, into the world. And in order for there to be no strings attached offer of salvation, there had to be a death. He died to His right for us to pay for what we had done. And he made a decision that you don't owe me anymore. I'm going to die to that right. And in order to die to that right, I'm going to send my son not only to reveal who I am as I am, but then to die for the sin that must be paid for. I'm going to tell you, your extensions and offers of grace this Christmas season with your family and your extended family, and your ex, and your in-laws, and your co-workers, and your boss, and your employees, that offer of grace will require a death as well. And before you jump to conclusions, please let me finish. It will be, <laughs> it'll be death of your pride. It might be death of your rights. It'll be death of your demands, death of your expectations, the death of your desire for people to hear your story, to get all the details, to, to convert them over to your side, to say, yeah, you're right, you are, you are the exception, you get a pass. You'll have to die to your right to be apologized to. You might have to die to your right to be heard and to be understood. All these things that well up inside of us, we have to die to those things in order to really extend grace. Which brings us to a really interesting truth that the death has to happen before the offer of grace. Death precedes grace. That is, if you don't recognize what it is that you're trying to extract from the people to whom you're trying to extend grace, you won't extend grace. You'll simply offer a trade. This is, this is why we've all said, you know, but, well, I've tried to forgive him. I've tried to forgive her. I really have, but it didn't work. I tried to be nice and it didn't work. I tried to put the past behind me and it didn't work. And, and, and what you mean by that is I did my part and they didn't change. They didn't apologize. They weren't any nicer. They didn't take any responsibility. They didn't offer me grace in return, so it didn't work. In other words, I didn't get anything in return. So what you're saying is it was a gift with strings attached, with expectations. And so before we attempt to offer some kind of grace, there has to be a death. Otherwise, if there's no death, it's simply a trade. It's because I'll forgive you if you, and, and I'll, I'll put the past behind me if you will, and I'll play nice if you will. And in that moment, what was an attempt at grace becomes nothing more than a trade. And it's not grace, it's simply a gift with strings attached. We have to make the difficult decision to die to what we expect from the people to whom we're offering grace. I'll just stop for a second because I might need to repeat that one. We have to die to what we expect from the people to whom we're offering grace. I think I have that on the, on the computer somewhere, Stan, if you can find wherever I am because uh, I think it needs a visual. There it is. There's a simple question that will help you understand what it is specifically that you have to die to in order to extend grace, and it's this. Simply ask yourself, what do I expect in return? What is it that you expect in return? The reason you withhold grace is because you expect something. So what do you expect in return? The reason you won't really forgive is because you'll forgive if... So what is it you're expecting? In return, what, what are you hoping to get in exchange for your offer of grace? And once you identify it, are you willing to die to that expectation? Because here's the truth. There is no grace with strings attached. By definition, that's not grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's unearned favor. In your life and in the tension, in your family dynamic, in your complicated relationships, what is it that needs to die in order for you to give what is undeserved and exactly what is needed to the people in your life. Because often what is needed is what is undeserved. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus came into this world, the perfect grace gift, that essentially God said this. He said, I'm going to send my son into the world to die. 
My hope is that you will accept and receive this gift. My hope is that you will accept my son as your savior. My hope is that my gift of grace will bring about a transformation in your soul. But if you never recognize the gift, if you never accept it, if you never change, the offer stands. This is what we're talking about today is a no strings attached offer. It's yours for the taking. Maybe that's why the angels, when they, remember when they appeared to the shepherds and made the announcement and they, they scared the shepherds half to death and, and they're like, calm down, don't be afraid. This isn't bad news. This is good news today in the city of David. A savior has been born. And right before they left the shepherds, they spoke what have become those famous words, you know, glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace to those on whom his favor rests, knowing that most of us would despise the offer, knowing that most people wouldn't accept it, knowing that most of his own people would reject him. In spite of all that, it remains a no-strings-attached offer. And the only way to describe it is that in light of this incredible gift, clearly the favor of God rests on all of humanity. That's Christmas. So here's a question for us this morning, this Christmas week. Where in your world is there a need for you to extend grace? Think about it this way. Who is the one person that you've been holding out on because they don't deserve it? Who's the one person, person you've been punishing with your attitude, punishing with your absence maybe? Who is it that needs precisely what you refuse to give? Who in your life needs an offer of grace from you? And would you be willing this week and next week and this Christmas season to die to whatever it is that you want in return? And what they need the most and deserve the least that you could give this Christmas. How can you be an extension of this incredible gift given that first Christmas? On your seat this morning, you found a card. looks like this. The couple statements from this morning's teaching that we hope are the takeaway, and then a question. So I want you to take this card out and just kind of look at it. However you function in your brain, maybe if you're just a, a look and read and meditate kind of person, if you're a, a journal person, you need to write some answers down here. Um, I'm going to give you a minute to think about a couple of these questions because they're just really two words I want to put on the screen right now. When we ask the question, where in your life is there a need for you to extend grace? And the words are, who and how? Who and how? Who in your world needs grace from you? And how can you extend it to them? I realize you might have someone sitting right next to you, and you might need to write in code. I get that. Don't write anything. I realize this is hard, and it's awkward, and you weren't expecting this on Christmas Sunday, and you came in in nasty weather hoping for just a warm and fuzzy... yeah, but I don't, want to, I don't want to waste your time. We want this to be a Christmas characterized by inner peace and outer grace. But I don't want anyone to leave here avoiding a decision. So I want you to think about this. Who needs grace? Who in my life needs grace? And how can I express that? I realize this could be the most expensive gift you give this Christmas. This could cost you significantly. In fact, grace should cost you something. Grace always costs something. If it doesn't cost you something, it's not grace. So I want to give you a couple minutes to think this through, write something down, spend a minute in prayer, commit your next steps to the Lord. I'm going to let a little music play. I'm going to step back for about a minute and a half, and let's just think about this, do a little introspection, okay?
imagine the impact of a couple hundred or more gifts of grace into our community, into our church, into our families, into our circles of relationships and connections. Imagine that. It's a lot of grace. Grace tends to multiply. So if you have the courage to do what you've committed to do in these last couple of minutes, listen, just, just know that God may not have the freedom to do anything in the heart of the person to whom you've chosen to extend this grace, okay? But I guarantee you he'll do something in your heart you act on this commitment that you've just made. He'll always do something in the heart that is surrendered to him. You'll become more graceful, more grace-filled. We'll become a more grace-filled church and we'll in a greater way reflect the heart of our amazing, gracious, heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that this Christmas season is so much more than just some familiar songs and some candles and some decorated trees and gifts underneath and all those trappings that come along with that. Thank you that this is, it's at a foundational level that everything that we believe as followers of Jesus. God, I pray that we do something with this peace and grace thing. I pray that we take that step that Pastor Bob talked about to know what it is to live in peace with our Heavenly Father, to have a relationship with God that's characterized by peace. And I pray that we take the steps necessary to live in community with one another in such a way that grace just permeates every relationship that we have. Help us to understand the grace that's been extended to us so we wouldn't become hoarders of grace, that we'd become agents of grace, that we'd become channels of grace, that we would just pour grace into all of our relationships and the people that we do life with. May that be true of us this Christmas week and and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Watch this. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, son. She wrapped him in cloths and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. God had this messy plan, a plan to save the world. And to do that, he was going to send his son. Where does the God of the universe send his son? Where, where, where does the King of kings and Lord of lords come? To a barn, a stable, a, a manger of all places. Certainly no place fit for a king. But then again, this wasn't any ordinary king. When I say it was messy, I mean messy. It was a barn, a stable, right? So you've got animals and animal stuff, manure, mud, a pitiful place for people, much less a place for the king of kings to be born. Why would God do that? Well. I can't tell you for sure, because Isaiah explains to us that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. But that same prophet, 400 years before Jesus was born, said, all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us to our own way, and that he has laid our iniquities on him. You see, Jesus came to a messy place. Oh, yeah, a barn, a manger, that's messy. But he came to a messy world. Why? Because the shepherd was coming to take care of the sheep, to prepare a way for them to go home. That's what a shepherd does. He lives where the sheep are. He sleeps where they sleep. He eats where they eat. It got Jesus in trouble. Why did Jesus eat with sinners? Because that's what the shepherd does. An angel appeared to the shepherds in the field and said, This will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. A sign. You ever wondered what that sign was? A sign for what? Maybe a sign that Jesus is accessible to everyone. A sign that the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills can relate to a homeless person. Because Jesus never had a home. Never had a place to rest his head. 
Maybe it was a sign that God would have nothing to do with the social status of mankind. A sign that he detests the splendor of humans because it's not worthy of him. But it was a sign for us that we should follow suit. In fact, the Apostle Paul later on would write, we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Although he was the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but that he made himself nothing, becoming a servant, being made in human likeness. A servant. You see, being a servant is, is messy. And Jesus set this incredible example for us. I mean, he got down on his knees and he washed feet. The God of the universe, the God who deserved the best of everything, got on his knees. He's the God who came to the world and was laid in a manger, a feed trough of all places. Why such a messy place? because he was following a messy plan. So needless to say, that very first Christmas was dirty. It was grimy, it was, it was filthy. <laughs> but thank God it was, because without it, what a mess we'd be in. Death was arrested in my life.